You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Cryptopsy, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. So much going on in the Vox and Hops world right now. I'm super excited to announce that the Vox and Hops podcast is an official sponsor of the Signs of the Swarm Asia Tour 2020. This sucker starts tomorrow in Bangkok, Thailand. And then it runs all the way to February 23rd, and it ends in Tokyo. They're going to be hitting Bangkok, Seoul, Tokyo, Miyagi, Osaka, and then they play Tokyo again on February 23rd. If you're out there, you should absolutely go see this. This tour is brought to you by Slam Bam Booking Asia and TM Music and yours truly, the Vox and Hops podcast. You can get tickets and all the info for these shows via the link in the description of this podcast. Huge shout out to the Slam Man, Gino himself for making me a part of this tour. Devastation on the Nation is less than two months away. This year's lineup is absolutely insane, featuring Rotting Christ, Borknagar, Wolfheart, Abigail Williams, and Imperial Triumphant. Some of these shows have already sold out. More of them are going to sell out. I can guarantee you that. If you do not have your tickets yet, you should absolutely go and do that right now via the link in the description of this podcast. Or you can simply go to metalfestivaltours.com. If you're coming out to the shows in Canada, the Vox and Hops podcast has organized, in association with Devastation on the Nation Tours, the very first Vox and Hops craft beer parties. These are pre-parties or after-parties associated with the Canadian dates of the Devastation on the Nation Tour. Super excited about these. You can come out in Vancouver on March 21st to Jackalope's Neighborhood Dive. And this is a pre-party. You're going to show up before the show. It's a Saturday. Don't worry. For that day, Kevin M's from Granville Island Small Batch is brewing a Black Pilsner aptly called Devastation. You should go out there, drink some beers. Sadly, because it's in Vancouver, I won't be there, but I will be there in spirit drinking craft beer with you. Don't you guys worry about that. On March 31st, an exclusive after party at Henderson Brewing Company. For this sucker, you must RSVP via the link on the MetalFestivalTours.com page. If you do not RSVP and you're not on that guest list, you will not get in. So you must RSVP for this one. This sucker is an after party. You show up after the show. Come there. I will be there. We're going to drink some beer. Henderson has brewed devastation the black lager and not only have they brewed it but they've canned it i just saw the can art this past week it is absolutely insane i'm super stoked about it the following day in my hometown in montreal quebec on april 1st it is an all-day craft beer party at le saint-boc brasserie artisanale for this sucker they have brewed devastation the black ipa super excited about this it's going to be a hoppy juicy malty treat you show up before the show, you drink some beers, you eat some supper, you go to Devastation on the Nation at Fufun Electric, and then you come back afterwards and finish it out with me and the rest of Vox and Hops heads, some of the bands, and all of the Devastation on the Nation crew are going to be there. We're going to be drinking some craft beer, and we want to hang out with you. Following day in Quebec City, we're at Bateau de Nuit. This is on April 2nd. This is another all-day party. You show up before the show. You drink some beers, get nice and ready for the Devastation on the Nation tour, and then you head over to that show. You watch Rotting Christ, Borknagar, Wolfheart, Abigail Williams, and Imperial Triumphant just destroy the place. And then you come back and you end your night craft beer style alongside me and some Vox and Hops heads. For this event, there will be a Keller beer, a delicious classic German-style brew, extremely drinkable, very clean, very clear. It's going to go down oh so smooth.
Also super excited to announce that this past Wednesday I launched the pre-orders for the very first Vox and Hops hoodie. This is the classic Enjoy Life metal and craft beer hoodie. I'm super stoked at the amount of people that have already pre-ordered it. I am blown away. Thank you so, so much for supporting the Vox and Hops podcast. There would be no podcast without your support. Without the Vox and Hops heads, I would just be talking to myself. So I appreciate you guys giving me a reason to do this. The best way to support the podcast is via the Vox and Hops Big Cartel page. Up there right now, I got the pre-orders for the Vox and Hops Enjoy Life Metal and Craft Beer Hoodie. Super stoked. Those will be up there for another few weeks at the rate this is going. And then I'm going to place the order, ship them out, and I can't wait to see you beautiful people wearing them. Hey, what's up? This is Chris Donaldson from uh, Cryptopsy and The Grid, and you're listening to Vox and Hops. Hey, thank you so much, Chris. I love you, dude. It was so great to see you the other night at the Ingested Show. Although we are in a band together, sadly we don't get to hang out as much as we would love to. As we get older, life happens, but I'm super happy I got to hang out with you at the Ingested Show. I love you, brother, dearly. On today's podcast, I'm with Malcolm Pugh of Inferi and the Artisan Era. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 109. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today I'm with Malcolm Pugh from Inferi and the Artisan Era. Yes, what's up? How, How you doing, do? man? It's good to be doing with you. Good. Likewise. We spent a very short time together. Indeed. <laughs> in 2016, I want to yeah. say. Yeah. Devastation on the Nation. Yeah. You, got, you were filling in on guitar. Yeah, that was the plan, yeah. I ended up just doing merch, though. Oh, yeah, how yeah, did yeah, I forget yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. The whole debacle with the faceless. Okay, yes, it's coming back to me now. But we spent a short time together. Indeed. We didn't get to talk too much until the, the last night. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I was like, I love this guy. Why didn't I oh, talk yeah. to him more? Oh, yeah. I get that effect. <laughs> <laughs> we are at uh, one of my favorite places in Montreal, probably one of the most influential craft beer bars. This is Brasserie Dieu du Ciel. We're on Laurier Street. You are playing at the Fairmount. It's super close. I had to bring you here. Oh, yeah. We are drinking their newer... IPA. I've never had this one. It's the Padmasana, 5.1%. It is a new wave IPA. It is hazy and nice. It's got like a, you know, it's opaque, a nice color, nice, beautiful white head. It smells fruity. Yeah. It's delicious. It's good. It's, uh, yeah. it's a little bit dank. Yeah. It's, um, it's got a nice mouthfeel, nice, um, smooth, um, hoppy. It's got a hoppy bite. Delicious. Take me back uh, to your youth. What is the soundtrack of your youth? What music was playing in your house when you were growing up, when you didn't have control over it? When I was growing up, my dad was, um, he would he would have turntables and he would just like mix records together, you know? Really? But yeah, yeah. Just like, like, you know, trying to DJ, you know, like a hobby. That's awesome. So uh, I grew up on like anything from like, Parliament and like P Funk and Madonna, and, you know anything like that, like anything that was like in the eighties that was like and beyond, like pretty much everything, hip hop, like old hip hop and all that stuff. So uh, there was no metal or anything like that, but um, yeah, it was just basically 
old 80s and 70s pop and funk and dance, like house music and stuff like that. When when did that first metal influence come in? Where did it come from if it didn't come from your your house? Um, it first came from Corn when I was in high school. A buddy of mine gave me a record, uh, Follow the Leader, and um, I heard it and then never looked back from anything heavy, you know? That was pretty much it. Were you already playing guitar at that point? No, but that was inspiration. Did you immediately like, I want a seven-string guitar? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to play drums, and um, there was no way that was going to happen in my house. They were too expensive and loud and all that stuff, so we settled for bass. So I got a bass, like, after a year, my parents... Um, a friend of theirs had like an old bass that was sitting around, so he let me use it for like a year or so. And my parents just kind of wanted to see if I was actually going to stick with it, and I'd play it every single day. So then they bought me a, a brand new bass that, for Christmas that year, and um, yeah, that was it. Did you know you were getting the gift, or were you? Was it a no, true? I had no idea. No that idea. It was a great moment. It was a great moment. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I started on bass. And then I think halfway through my senior year in high school, I think, uh, someone broke into our house and stole all of our stuff. Holy shit. Including my bass. So um, I ended up going on eBay and just looking for like a cheap guitar for like a hundred bucks. The switch, the switch happened then? Yeah. Was it intentional? You wanted to make a jump? Or... Um, were guitars just cheaper? It, it was cheaper. It was a hundred bucks, and um, you know, I don't know why specifically I made the change, but uh, my buddy at the time played guitar as well, and he had amps and stuff. So it was like I just needed the guitar, and then I could borrow his amp. At that point, I was really deep into Metallica, so I kind of wanted to play Metallica solos, and that's what kind of started me on learning how to play actual guitar instead of bass. Was I just uh, bought a bunch of tab books from uh, like Guitar Center or something like that, and um, learned all the solos first before <laughs> before any rhythm or <laughs> <Yeah>. anything. <laughs> I figured if I could learn the solos, then the rhythms would be easier. And and, and, and would, you, would, would you recommend that? to new kids trying think, to learn how to play? I think keeping it diverse is probably the best way. But I was pretty um, maniacal about it. And I was very... Uh, obsessed. Obsessed. So I guess that's the tip. Be obsessed about it. <laughs> and you'll figure it out. <laughs> we, we were coming here and we crossed these two kids that had just finished their school day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, remember that moment? You finish your school day and it's, it's the best just moment. the best moment. And yeah. I was like, did you just run home and play guitar? That's exactly what I did. Were, would you spend all day just thinking about guitar and like, were you that type of kid? During school hours, I was sitting around drawing. I used to draw a lot. So um, I would be sleeping or drawing. And then uh, after my work day was done of sleeping and drawing, <laughs> I would go home and then I could focus on music. Because back then there was no way to, you know, listen to music at school, you know, unless you had like a, a Walkman, you had batteries in it and shit like that. So um, didn't have the phones. And um, yeah, so it would just, you know, shoot straight home. 
maybe smoke a little weed or something and blast off all night and, and then go fall asleep and wake up and do it again. Yeah. Was there a metal scene in your hometown? Were you the metal kid in school, the only one, or were there a few of you? There's a couple of us. Um, my high school was pretty small. My graduating class was 13 people. Holy sh- Okay, I came from a small one, but that you got me beat. So it was, um, it was a very unique school. Uh, it was a literature magnet school. And we had 6th uh, grade through 12th grade in the building. And yeah, it was very odd now that I think about it. But, yeah, it was very small, tight-knit. Everybody knew everyone. Um, so even though we were metalheads, like me and my friends, like we still got along with everyone else. You still had no choice when it's that small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so they just knew who was going to bring the weed to the party. There you, you know, go. That's, yeah. that's the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, they. Um, yeah, school was pretty cool, um, but getting out and and jamming was like that was the purpose. And then a buddy of mine who um, was actually the original guitar player in Inferi with me, we went to high school together. So we eventually just, uh, you know, I would just walk to his house and leave my guitar there and just go jam with him, you know. And then, you know, whenever my parents picked me up. You know, go home and jam some more and just kind of do that. Just nonstop playing. Yeah, it's amazing. Nonstop. Yeah. yeah. At what point did you believe that it would become a career, that it's something that you would be able to do? I've always had the delusion of the career. Uh, so I, I just kind of like never lost focus of that. Um, once I started like playing shows, and w- actually, once we started get, having like, you know, band rehearsals and stuff like that and playing shows, um, it was kind of like, yeah, I think I'm a, I don't want to do anything else. So that kind of has always just been there because um, I'm pretty obsessive about stuff. So whenever I have my mind set on something, I'm pretty much going to only do that no matter uh, what happens around in life. So that's kind of a blessing and a curse. When times get hard financially or, you know, stuff like that, you know, got to find a way to make things happen without giving up on it because I feel like persistence, not giving up is really the only way to push through all this shit to hopefully get to where you want to be as a musician. Absolute wise words right there. It's the stick to itism that gets us anywhere in life. Yeah. yeah. How hard was it back in the day? You had this vision. You knew that it was going to happen. How hard was it to find a group of people that also had your work ethic to get it there? It must have been frustrating. Let's put it this way. So, Inferi started touring heavily last year, or 2018, early 2018. So, that long. We've <laughs> <laughs> uh, been trying to get the band to be a touring band for a long time. You know, we've had a lot of trials and tribulations and went on hiatus for, I think, like five years uh, back in the late 2000s. And uh, then I joined uh, another band called Discreet out of uh, Topeka, Kansas. And things were working out really good for those guys at at first when I joined. And then uh, we were working with a record label. I don't really want to bring up their name. but they, they fucked us pretty hard, and that band dissolved. So then I ended up moving back home to Nashville and jamming with a band called Info Darkness. 
and things didn't work out with those guys. Uh, label stuff and band member stuff, stuff that was pre-existing to me coming into the thing. So I said, you know, forget it. I'm just going to uh, start in theory up again with uh, Mike, which was I took his place in Full Darkness. So um, yeah, we started we started in theory back up after uh, left in Full Darkness, and then got more members and released our third record, and then lost three members directly after that, so we couldn't tour. The biggest problem being in an extreme metal band, yeah. Is that there's minimal finance right. and a lot of sacrifice necessary. Yeah. And the older we get, the harder it is to do that with, yeah, yeah. with, with life happening and families yeah. and families, other obligations. Life. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, not only you have to find the right members to do it, you got to find people you you respect and get along with that also share the same goals as you. Uh, and then hopefully make some money to get between the next tour. You know what I mean? It's almost like winning the lottery. Yeah. It's, yeah, basically. It's, or yeah. getting hit by lightning twice. Yeah. Playing roulette. Putting it on, you know, on Everything black. on the table all yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's either going to work or it's not. You, you mentioned two times, two bands getting screwed by labels. Yeah. Is that what inspired you to start the Artisan Era? Yeah. Let's have exactly. that story. Um, was it just to put out your own stuff and know that it would be on the up and up, or was it to help out your friends? Uh, at first, Inferi was signed, and then we got dropped by the said label that Discreet was dealing with. We, we were signed to the same label. So that caused our hiatus. So then I started a project called um, A Loathing Requiem. And I, re- I re- recorded a record and tried to... Uh, get that record to be released on the same label since we were still signed with Discreet on that label um, and they didn't want it and then ended up having all that bad stuff happen with them with Discreet so I said forget it I'm going to release it on my own that was like in 2010 which is early for, for independent yeah. the independent band wave yeah and it was like really I had no idea what I was doing you know, so I was just like, oh, I'll release it on my own, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and that was pretty much that at the moment. You know, I just kind of started it. Um, and then I tried to get some other bands. I can't remember any of their names. It was so long ago. Um, so the only release we had was the first Alo the Requiem uh, album. Up until 2014, when Inferi released uh, The Path of Apotheosis, which um, then me and Mike became partners in, in the label. We released the record. It did so good that we just used all the money from the record to put back into the company. And we were like, well, now we have this, um, this foundation. We can just release our own records from our projects for you know for eternity at this point you know just like we'll just release our own stuff. Mike has a, a band called uh, Oubliette uh, that he does with his wife and uh, and the drummer from Info Darkness um, and a couple of other dudes from back home. So we were like, okay, we'll, we'll release your records and my solo project stuff and the band stuff, and we'll just do that. And then um, eventually. Uh, a buddy of ours from Nashville, or right outside of Nashville, Colin Butler, had a project called uh, Virulent Depravity, 
he had a record that was really sick. He wanted me to play on it, so I played on it. And um, it's like, you know what? We talked about releasing it, and then that was like our first release that wasn't like anything to do with me or Mike. And then it kind of just like snowballed from there. Uh, and then, do you think people are like? They thought if they weren't a part of your inner circle that they couldn't be a part of it, or is it... I don't know. Um, we weren't really, like, advertising to, like, sign bands. So, Virulent was, like, the first band that we signed. And then, we, I think, uh, shortly after... Uh, I can't... I, honestly, I can't remember if it was Enfold or Virulent that came first. But both of them were around the same time. And then... Uh, we released Virulent Depravity, um, In Full Darkness, and a band called Dark Matter Secret, and I think Inanimate Existence all in one year. I think that was 2017. That's a big year, yeah, yeah. And then uh, that's what really kind of like got a lot, a lot of attention from a lot of people, and then it kind of just snowballed. You know, a lot of bands were coming to us, um, a lot of technical bands. You guys definitely have like. Right, your style, yeah. of metal, that yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, we're trying to branch out. You know, I don't want all the bands to be the exact same, but it's very cool to have like the okay, that's the tech label, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so that's been really, really, really cool. Um, and ever since we just, you know, just trying to release sick records every year you know that's really the goal how, how hands are on you are you when a band sends you their finished product are you ever disappointed and tell them no go back and work on it are you that type of label or is everything just arms open we've never had to have anyone change their stuff because like i'm a firm believer if we have to have you change something then we're not going to release it because we don't like it you know what i mean so absolutely no yeah uh, releasing something that we don't like and there's no point of trying to change a band that's that's not who they are so you know um, but yeah if uh, if we don't like something we won't release it and if we like it we release it and you know have you like worked up with the label in association with a specific booking agent where all your artists go to one booking agent and then you guys can just throw tours together of all your artists? No, not quite. We're not quite at that at that point. Um, we do have a few of the guys on the label on a certain uh, booking agent. And, uh, well, there's a couple. Uh, so there's potential for that stuff there. But um, like an artisan era tour. Yeah, people have been talking for that about that for a long time. For me, it's, it, it seems yeah. easy to me. Yeah, 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 it would be easy. But we're trying to wait for the right time to strike. We want to make sure, like all the bands who are on the tour and the headliner of the tour, uh, would be enough draw to where the tour is not going to be a flop or nothing. It's kind of it's kind of hard tech death. Yes, you know, yes, tech death and like. Uh, Deathcore like apples and oranges, so like you can have a deathcore, um, he deathcore heavy tour, and it'll be more successful, or a slam tour. Um, but Tech Death has a very very small fan base compared to all the other genres. So why why do you think that is really? Uh, because I think most of the people who like Tech Death are musicians that are insane, like myself. You know, they like crazy fast stuff and. 
to leave their house is a difficult thing at all. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They'll listen yeah. to it and tell everyone about it. Yeah. But they might not go out to support it, hypothetically. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know why it's so small comparatively. I think uh, technical music is hard for anyone to really latch. It's hard to latch on as a mass. As the masses. I mean, like if you take, you know, crazy jazz or something like that. You know, most people are just like, "What the hell is this?" Uh, even if they listen to, you know, something similar. But you know, a lot of people aren't into, you know, going extreme with stuff. So I think that could be a part of it. But it could also be uh, some people just don't know it exists. So there's a wide, wide. Breath, which yeah. which metal encompasses. Yeah, that's a, and I, I realize it more and more every day. Working with all the bands that I work with and going on tour, it's just like you would you would think that oh you've heard of that band and people are just like I've never heard that band before. It's like what <laughs> you know? So it's, you're yeah. welcome in advance. Yeah. <laughs> the, what is the band you think everyone's sleeping on? As you mentioned that, it makes me think of that. Uh, let's see. Info Darkness has been around for a long time. I figure more people would have known about them for a while. It's definitely hard to say because most tech bands don't tour. So uh, they do great online. But like if, if you don't tour, it's, it's hard to really widen that true range. You know what I mean? Um, Actually, I'll tell you this. We're on tour Shadow of Intent right now. We're selling out half the tour. And we stayed with a buddy the other day. And he's like, so who's Shadow of Intent? <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you not know who this band is? You know what I mean? Yeah, they're huge now. <laughs> so that's, that's a good example. I but get it, yeah. It's like, everybody knows who they are, but somebody doesn't know who they are. You know what I mean? Vox and Hops is all about metal and craft beer, so let's touch on that. Uh, are you a craft beer enthusiast? I wouldn't say enthusiast, but I am a drinking enthusiast, therefore, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Take me back to that first beer. Do you remember your first, first beer. beer? Oh, man. Uh, I think I was probably like six and I came up and I grabbed my dad's beer can and drank from it and spit it out instantly <laughs> and that was I was like oh, that, I'll never drink that shit again and then somewhere in high school went to a party and uh, you know don't have a clear memory of the first beer but they went. It, it went in. But it worked out. <laughs> it did its job. Yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoy drinking, um, and I enjoy drinking uh, good beer. When I was younger, it was mostly like you know crap, you know, Bush Light or Bud Light or something like that. Just because when you're young, being dumb and partying, that stuff doesn't matter. Do you remember your first good beer? First good beer. There's a. A brewery from the Nashville area called Yazoo. Um, they have a, a beer called uh, Dos Barros that they have in like the bars in that area. And um, I remember moving back to Nashville in like 2010 and went to the bar and they had that, that beer there and it was really dope. And I was like, okay. Well, I guess I can I can get away from this uh, 
Bud Light crap, you know? What style of beer was that? Uh, it was like a lager. Um, it was really, really good beer. Um, but you have to have it from the tap. Like, you know, the bottled up stuff doesn't, it's not the same. You got to get fresh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, pretty much the only time I really drink craft beer stuff is like, you know, when we go to a bar I've never been to or, you know. Uh, On a Vox and Hops interview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's an experience. Talk to me about, uh, I like to ask this to bands. I always imagine it for myself. If Inferi had a craft beer made for them, what would it be called? What style would it be? That's a great question. We have a song called Behold the Bear of Light. And uh, our old vocalist uh, made a meme of the album cover. And that uh, there's a, the album cover has a picture of Lucifer frozen in ice. Cool. And he uh, photoshopped a, a light beer in his hand. <laughs> Behold the bear of light beer, but there you <laughs> go. Yeah, it could be like a session beer. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, if we had a if we had a beer, it'd probably be like some sort of IPA. Uh, Mike's really in, our other guitar player. Mike is in, in the IPAs a lot, and um, I dig them too. I di- I don't know what we'd call them though. That's a that's a hard question on the spot. Um, we have a song called Destroyer, so. Maybe something with that in it. An imperial yeah, yeah. black stout, yeah, yeah. omnia stout <laughs> called Destroyer. Yeah. 12.9%. Yeah, it's like a... <laughs> Aged like an bourbon. arrogant bastard. Yeah, have you ever had one of those? I have, yeah. yes. Yeah. Those are... One of the precursor craft beer people from yeah. Stone. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, you guys have been touring a lot recently. You're going to take a break. Uh, but if you could book a dream tour... Who would be on that tour in the case you haven't already done it? What would be the perfect lineup for Inferi? For me, it would be in no specific order as far as, you know, who's headlining or who's not headlining. But I'd say Necrophagist, uh, Black Dahlia Murder, Arsis. And, and even though this is never going to happen, but Metallica, right? You just put Crazy. all four of those. <laughs> just put all. I can four, see yeah. the first four working, and then I was confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's just like you know, for a dream tour, I would love to fucking tour Metallica. Who who wouldn't? But for death metal, for death metal's sake, we'll, we'll keep it at Necrophagist, Black Dog Murder, Arsis, and then In Fear, and that'd be the tour. Well, I'll quit. That- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, everyone? Yeah. If you want Malcolm to stop, you know what to do. Just call up Lars. <laughs> On that note, Malcolm, thank you so, so much. Yeah, no problem. Come and drink a beer with me here. Yeah, Cheers. Yeah. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Such a great time hanging out with Malcolm. What a great dude. Super fun to drink with. Excellent night. I love where we went. If you come to Montreal, you like craft beer. But Acerie Dieu du Ciel should be one of the places that you hit. They are a classic, classic craft beer place up here in Montreal. I can only say great things about this place. They are one of the first craft beers that I started drinking. So a huge shout out and a huge thank you to Brasserie Dieu du Ciel for what they have done to the Quebec craft beer scene. I hope that you guys have a great weekend. I hope you have a great week after that. Remember to enjoy life. 
metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.